Chapter 8 of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 8 Thou hast led me astray, my youth, till there is nowhere I can turn my steps. Koltsov It was the middle of April. The ginger tree had at last unsheathed the immense buds which it had been guarding among its long sword-like leaves and had hung out its great pink and white blossoms at all their length. The coffee-trees had mingled with their red berries the dearest little white wax flowers. The paradise-tree, which Annette had been watching day by day, had come out in the night. And this morning, among its innumerable hanging golden balls, were cascades of five-leaved white stars with violet centres. Annette was well again if so dull and tame a word can be used to describe the radiance which health had shed upon her, and upon the unfolding, petal by petal, of her beauty. The long rest, the slow recovery, the immense peace which had enfolded her life for the first time, the grim, tender mothering of Mrs. Toddart, had altogether fostered and sustained her. Her life, cut back to its very root by a sharp frost, had put out a superb new shoot, her cultishness and a certain heavy, naive immaturity had fallen from her. Her beauty had shaken them off and stood clear of them, and Mrs. Toddart recognised, not without anxiety, that the beauty which was now revealed was great. But in the process of her unduly delayed and then unduly forced development, it was plain that she had lost one thing which would have made her mother's heart ache if she had been alive. Annette had lost her youth. She was barely twenty-two, but she had the dignity and the bearing of a woman of thirty. Mrs. Toddart watched her standing, a gracious, slender figure in her white gown under the paradise tree, with a wild baby canary in the hollow of her hands, coaxing it to fly back to its parents, calling shrilly to it from a neighbouring thicket of lemon-coloured honeysuckle. She realised the pitfalls that lay in wait for persons as simple and as inapprehensive as Annette especially when they are beautiful as well, and she sighed. Presently the baby canary fluttered into the honeysuckle, and Annette walked down the steep garden path to meet Victor, the butler, who could be seen in the distance coming slowly on the donkey up the white high road from Santa Cruz, with the letters. Mrs. Toddart sighed again. She had safeguarded Annette's past, but how about her future? She had pondered long over it, which Annette did not seem to do at all. Tenerife was becoming too hot. The two ladies from Hampstead had already gone, much mollified towards Annette, and even anxious to meet her again, and attributing her more alert movements, and now quite unrolling eyes, to the fact that they had made it clear that they would not stand in nonsense, or take airs from anyone. Mrs. Stoddart was anxious to get home to London to her son, her one son, Mark. But what would happen to Annette when they left Tenerife? She would gladly have kept her as her companion till she married, for of course she would marry one day. But there was Mark to be considered. She could not introduce Annette into her household without a vehement protest from Mark to start with, who would probably end up by falling in love with her. It was hopeless to expect that Annette would take an interest in any man for some time to come. Would she be glad or sorry if Annette eventually married Mark? She came to the conclusion that in spite of all the drawbacks of Annette's parentage and of the Legay episode, she would rather have her as her daughter-in-law than anyone. But there was Mark to be reckoned with, a 
very uncertain quantity. She did not know how he would regard that miserable episode, and she decided that she would not take the responsibility of throwing him and Annette together. Then what was to be done? Mrs. Toddart had got through her own troubles with such assiduous determination earlier in life that she was now quite at liberty to attend to those of others, and she gave a close attention to Annette's. She need not have troubled her mind, for Annette was coming towards her up the steep path between the high hedges of flowering geraniums with a sheaf of letters in her hand, and her future neatly mapped out in one of them. She sat down at Mrs. Stoddart's feet in the dappled shade under the scarlet-flowered pomegranate tree, and they both opened their letters. Annette had time to read her two several times, while Mrs. Stoddart selected one after another from her bundle. Presently she gave an exclamation of surprise. "'Mark is on his way here. He will be here directly. Let me see, the Furtzin is due to-morrow or next day. He sends this by the English mail to warn me. He's not been well, overworked, and he's coming out for the sake of the chi journey and, and to take me home.' Mrs. Stoddart's shrewd eyes shone. A faint colour came to her thin cheeks. "'Then I shall see him,' said Annette. "'When he did not come out for Christmas, I was afraid I should miss him altogether.' "'Does that mean you are thinking of leaving me, Annette?' "'Yes,' said Annette, and she took her friend's hand and kissed it. "'I've been considering it some time. "'I'm thinking of staying here and setting up as a dressmaker.' "'As a dressmaker?' almost gasped Mrs. Stoddart. "'Yes, why not? "'My aunt is a very good dressmaker in Paris, and she would help me. "'At least she would if it was worth her while. "'And there's no one here to do anything.' "'and all that exquisite work the peasant women make "'is wasted on coarse or inferior material. "'I should get them to do it for me on soft, fine nainsuk, "'and make a speciality of summer morning gowns and children's frocks. "'Everyone who comes here would buy a gown of Tenerife work from me, "'and I can fit people quite well. "'I have a natural term for it. "'Look how I can fit myself. "'You said yesterday that this white gown I have on was perfect.' Mrs. Dollard could only gaze at her in amazement. "'My dear Annette,' she said at last, "'you cannot seriously think I would allow you to leave me to become a dressmaker. "'What have I done that you should treat me like that?' "'You've done everything,' said Annette, "'more than anyone in the world since I was born, "'and I have accepted everything, haven't I, as it was given, freely. "'But I felt the time was come when I must find a little hole of my own to creep into, "'and I thought this dressmaking might do.' I would rather not try to live by my voice. It would throw me into the kind of society I knew before. I would rather make a fresh start on different lines. At least I thought all these things as I came up the path ten minutes ago. But these two letters have shown me that I have a place of my own in the world after all. She put two black-edged letters into Mrs. Stoddart's hand. "'Aunt Catherine is dead,' she said. "'You know she has been failing.' That was why they went to live in the country. Mrs. Toddart took up the letters and gave them her whole attention. Each of the bereaved aunts had written. "'My dear Annette,' wrote Aunt Maria the eldest, "'I grieve to tell you that our beloved sister, your Aunt Catherine, died suddenly yesterday from heart failure. We had hoped that the move to the country undertaken entirely on her account would have been beneficial to her, entailing as it did a great sacrifice on my part, who need the inspiration of a congenial literary milieu so much.' She had always fancied that she was not well in London. 
in which belief her doctor encouraged her, very unwisely, as the event has proved. The move, with all the inevitable paraphernalia of such an event, did her harm, as I had feared it would. She insisted on organising the whole affair, and though she carried it through fairly successfully, except that several of my manuscripts had been mislaid, the strain had a bad effect on her heart. The doctor said that she ought to have gone away to the seaside while the move was done in her absence. This, she declared, was quite impossible, and though I wrote to her daily from Phoenixstowe, begging her not to over-fatigue herself, and to superintend the work of others rather than to work herself, there is no doubt that in my absence she did more than she ought to have done. The heart attacks have been more frequent and more severe ever since, culminating in a fatal one on Saturday last. The funeral is to-morrow. Your Aunt Harriet is entirely prostrated by grief, and I may say that unless I summoned all my fortitude I should be in the same condition myself, for of course my beloved sister Catherine and I were united by a very special and uncommon affection, rare even between affectionate sisters. I do not hear any more of your becoming a professional singer, and I hope I never shall. I gather that you have not found living with your father quite as congenial as you anticipated. Should you be in need of a home when your tour with Mrs. Doddart is over, we should be quite willing that you should return to us, for though the manner of your departure left something to be desired, I have since realised that there was not sufficient scope for yourself and Aunt Catherine in the same house, and now that we are bereaved of her, you would have plenty to occupy you in endeavouring, if such is your wish, to fill her place. Your affectionate aunt, Maria Neville. Mrs. Stoddart took up the second letter. "'My dear Annette, how can I tell you, how can I begin to tell you, of the shattering blow that has fallen upon us? Life can never be the same again. Death has entered our dwelling. Dearest Cathy, your, your Aunt Catherine has been taken from us. She was quite well yesterday, at least well for her, at a quarter-past seven when she was rubbing my feet, and by seven-thirty she was in a precarious condition.' Maria insisted on sending for a doctor, which of course I greatly regretted, realising, as I do full well, that the ability to save life is not within them, and that all drugs have only the power in them which we by wrong thought have given to them. However, Maria had her way, as always, but our dear sister succumbed before he arrives, so I do not in any way attribute her death to him. We were both with her, each holding one of her dear hands, and the end was quite peaceful. I could have wished for one last word of love, but I do not rebel. Maria feels it terribly, though she always has great self-control. But, of course, the loss cannot be to her, immersed in her writing, which it is to me, my darling Cathy's constant companion and adviser. We were, all in all, to each other. What I should do without her I cannot even imagine. Maria will naturally expect, she always has expected, to find all household matters arranged without any participation on her part. And I am, alas, so feeble that for many years past I have had to confine my aid to that of consolation and encouragement. My sofa has indeed, I am thankful to think, been a centre from which sympathy and love have flowed freely forth. This is as it should be. We invalids live in the lives of others. Their joys are our joys, their sorrows are our sorrows. How I have rejoiced over your delightful experiences at Tenerife, the islands of the blessed. When it has snowed here, how often I have said to myself, Annette is in the sunshine. And now, dear Annette, I am wondering whether, when you leave Tenerife, you could make your home with us again for a time. 
you would find one very loving heart here to welcome you, ever ready with counsel and support for a young girl's troubles and perplexities. I never blamed you for leaving us. I know too well that spirit of adventure, though my lot bids me sternly silence its voice. And, darling child, does it not seem pointed out for you to relinquish this strange idea of being a professional singer for a life to which the call of duty is so plain? I know from experience what a great blessing attends those who give up their own will to live for others. The surrender of the will, that is where true peace and happiness lie, if the young could only believe it. I will say no more. With fondest love, your affectionate Aunt Harriet. Ah, said Mrs. Stoddart, and so the only one of the trio whom you could tolerate is the one who has died. They have killed her between them. That is sufficiently obvious. And what do you think, Annette, of this extremely cold-blooded suggestion that you should live for others? I think it is worth a trial, said Annette, looking gravely at her. It will have the charm of novelty at any rate. And I haven't made such a great success of living for myself so far. Mrs. Stoddart did not answer. Even she, accustomed as she was to them by now, always felt a tremor when those soft-veiled violet eyes were fixed upon her. Sweetie's eyes were ever seen, she often said to herself. Annette went on. I see that I have been like the man in the parable. When I was bidden to the feast of life, I wanted the highest seat. I took it as my right. I was to have everything, love, honour, happiness, rank, wealth. But I was turned out, as he was, and I was so angry that I flung out of the house in a rage. If Dick had not stopped me at the door, I should have gone away altogether. The man in the parable behaved better than that. He took with shame the lowest seat. I must do like him, try and find the place intended for me, where I shan't be cast out. Well, this is the lowest seat with a vengeance. Yes, that is why I think it may be just what I can manage. You're sure you're not doing this from a false idea of making an act of penance? No, directly I read the letters I thought I should like it. I wish now I had never left them, and I believe now that I have been away I could make a success of it. I have no doubt you could, but I should like to make a success of something after being such a failure, and... and... And what, my child? I have begun to think there was no corn in the world for me, as if the giver of the feast had forgotten me altogether. And this looks as if he hadn't. I have often thought lately that I should like, if I could, to creep into some little place where I should not be thrust out, where there wouldn't be any more angels with flaming swords to drive me away. End of chapter 8